the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Arthur Idala on AM 970. The answer. This is the Arthur Idala Power Hour with quintessential New Yorker attorney Arthur Idala, New York's go to lawyer. He's here to share his stories from in the courtroom and around the city with interviews from high profile guests and everyday folks calling in to talk about everything from politics, lifestyle, health and wellness, and more. And now your host, making the case for the city he loves, attorney Arthur Idala. It is 6.05 on Thursday, December the 8th. Yes, the 8th day of December. We are on Christmas countdown. As the elf on the shelf tells little Arthur every morning, you better be good because Santa's watching. Um, what a, a hectic day today was. But I will tell you, I did cheat a little bit because December the 8th is also known as... Does Joni know what it is? It is a feast day. I, that's all she knows. Look, I that's know Joni. Oh, my God. I Really, Joan? Joan? See you. I know. I see you are. You're. You're. You're actually. You're Jewish. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being Jewish, right? (laughs) Took you a little long there, Alex. Um, Do you know, Alex, what today's uh, holy day of obligation is? I will leave it up to the devout Italian. There we go. I mean, Piscopo must be bugging out right now because. Today is December the 8th, and it is, come on, you're saying it at home, right? Immaculate Conception. What is the Immaculate Conception? Now, everybody thinks, no, I shouldn't say everybody, but many people think that the Immaculate Conception was that Jesus Christ was born while his mother, with his mother still being a virgin. And uh, therefore, uh, you know, from what I learned, at least in biology class, uh, that, that would be an immaculate conception. But no, that is not what the immaculate conception is. The most blessed Virgin Mary was from the first moment of her conception by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God and by the virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the Roman race, preserved immune from all stain of original sin. So, Joan, this is not about Jesus. This is about Mary was born without original sin. We are all born with original sin, and then at our baptism, we get all cleaned up. Now, who gave us the original sin? Who was it? Who ate the apple? Eve. Ah! Ah, Who ate the apple? Huh? You get that, Alex? Alex, you understand who ate the apple? Uh You don't see an apple in in Adam's mouth. The apple is in Eve's mouth, and there's where you get original sin. And I will tell you, I also knew, I all, Imran, real quick, do you know what uh, the Immaculate Conception is? The The Immaculate Conception, people think that it was that Jesus was born by his mom, who was a virgin. But that is not accurate. It was that Mary was the only human being to be born without the stain of original sin. 
That's she was she was originally created as a special woman to bear Jesus. But do you know where original sin comes from? Who ate the apple? Eve. Ah. <laughs> messed it all up. It's all about Adam didn't eat the apple. Eve ate the apple. That's all. Now I really sound like Louis Idala. Now I am really I eat a lot of apples. Um, so what I was telling you was the reason why I got into the whole immaculate conception and the being a holy day of obligation. Um, is that Arthur, who goes to a Catholic school, he had off today. And, you know, everyone's like, talk more about being a lawyer. Talk more about being a lawyer. Well, you know what happens when you're a lawyer doing at least the type of law that I do in the environment that I do? I, like this whole week, I think, I leave the house before Arthur wakes up. Sometimes I'll catch Ariana because she's wakes up earlier than him. And I get home and they're all asleep. So I didn't see Arthur Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Right. That's not cool. I mean, I, it's not cool, I guess, from his perspective. I don't want to talk for the six year old, but um, it's definitely not cool from my perspective. The old Luca, because he's older, I get to see him. It's it's an odd situation because I, it shouldn't be on, on paper. I shouldn't see Luca, who doesn't live with me full time. I shouldn't see him more than I do see the child who does live with me full time. But because of sleeping patterns, that's actually the fact. So. Instead of driving Luca to school this morning, I asked Luca as a favor, as a, if, uh, an accommodation, as if he could, um, we, we arranged other ways for Luca to get to school, and I stayed home this morning, and I got to spend time with Ariana, and Arthur, who was off from, from school, why was he off from school today, Joan? Because of Immaculate Conception. Because today was the Immaculate, right, exactly, today was the, uh, the I'm feast. I'm loud enough to do this from the, the other yes, side Yes, I know, Joan, Joan is doing her old And by the Facebook way, Matt's guide. listening, watching us. Sam Bolin. Yeah. Oh, is, is he in, I don't know, is he in bed, is he in a lounge I chair? Know. Yeah. Lounge I know where he's not, he's not behind the controls, <laughs> but we got Alex, and we'll finish the show strong with Alex talking about the World Cup and talking about some basketball. At least you didn't bench me today, all right? At least I didn't quit, uh, threaten oh, to quit, right, like Ronaldo did? What is that about? He's alluding to a, a story later on. Don't, 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 don't give it all away just yet, Alex Garrett. Yeah, because he could uh, be wrong uh, like he was with the He Yankees. could be wrong like, yes, right, the false I, one. I, I, but I ultimately turned... Ultimately, turned out to be correct. It's like when they gave Fox News a hard time because they called Arizona for Biden very early on. Yep. Um, and I will tell you, people were biting their nails over there as the recounts went on weeks and months later that, wow, imagine if they called it wrong. But nope, they luckily called it right. Um, so I then went to court and I went to 100 Center Street where the case, and it'll be reported in the newspaper. Wait, so tell I'm not, people what 100 Center Street 100 is. 100 Center Street is the building on 100 Center Street off the corner of One Hogan Place that used to be called Leonard Street. And Hogan Place is named after Frank Hogan, the district attorney who was there for 30-some-odd years. Um, I went up to the 111th, so I went to the 11th floor to room 1111. And that's a courtroom where uh, Judge Carol Berkman used to sit, then Judge Melissa Jackson sat, and now Judge Felicia Menon sits uh, in that same courtroom. And um, those are all judges who, um, it's a, let's just say it's a very serious environment. Um, and uh, I had the case on of Laura Pazienza, the young woman who's accused of pushing an older woman down. And it was interesting because there was a little commotion in the court because uh, I was in the front room with in the front room with Lino and the prosecutor, and as they were calling the case and Miss Pazienza was going to make her appearance, I heard one of the court officers say in a rather loud, stern voice, "Get out! Get up! Get out! Get out! Get up!" And I, growing up in that courthouse, in that courtroom, that courtroom, although I've been in that courtroom many times, but in that courthouse, 
you know, when the court officers raise their voice, it's very rare. So you get like jumpy right away. And I'm like, uh-oh, someone's in trouble. And uh, my understanding is on information and belief that it was um, some spectator who had nothing to do with my client or her family who was trying to take pictures in the courtroom. And that is a no-no. Uh, even for Joni Pelzer, who uh, I likes to... got kicked out of jury like, duty for trying to take a picture. There you go. She likes to take <laughs> her pictures, likes to do her, her Facebook Live. Um, yeah, you can take pictures. So, so I think two people got thrown out. It was a relatively... Um, a relatively... 60, 70 second uh, appearance, just like yesterday when I had Libby Montgomery's case on. I think I mispronounced her last name there. Sorry, it's the apple that I ate. It's Eve's <laughs> fault. Um, it, you know, these, these, they, the media is there and they wait for so much, so much time before and after. And then um, uh, the, the actual meat of the case is like less than two minutes. Uh, so the case will be on again in January and we're in ongoing negotiations. And then I came to Midtown and look, I, I, all I'm going to say is thank God for the subway system because right now around Midtown, it, the gridlock is insane in the membrane. You can't even walk. Yeah, you can't even walk. Um, so I jumped on the train and I came and I had uh, lunch at a good place, uh, a very place that I like a lot. Uh, I think Joan may have heard of it. It's called the Perfect Pint. I love that place. Up on the roof, yes. and they have an enclosed roof, so you feel like you're outside, even we though just you're inside. Went there for your birthday, and the, all the waiters and waitresses are like, "You were here last week." And I was with an old friend of mine from the Fox News Channel, and we really we had a great hour and a half lunch, just catching up and and checking in. And then I walk in back into the office, and it's like a tidal wave of energy. And information and questioning and people handing me things to sign. And I love it. I love every minute of it. I would not um, trade it for anything, to be honest with you. Uh, and I had different clients coming in and people who, you know, who maybe have some issues and need some help. And I'm trying to work on that. And then there was some contractual stuff um, I was discussing. And that that was very cool it had because no one's life is on the line. Um and then I was preparing actually for the show a little bit because we have a great show. Uh, we have a an author coming up who um, wrote a really cool book that's <laughs> called a, you, you, you moved the book. All right, I'm going to find the book for you. You moved it. It was right on your desk. You gotta love Joan. I know. Gotta, gotta love, love it. it was right love, on your desk. Love, love Joan. I believe it's a Saint's letter, but could be wrong. Thank you. No, you're you. Yes, it's called a Saint's letters from the depths of hell. But it's written by a friend of mine, Ralph Morales. So Ralph is here. He's actually in the office. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Ralph Morales talking about the book that he wrote. Don't go anywhere. Lay across my big grass bed. Stay, lady, stay. Stay with your man a while. It's okay. It's all right. It's okay. This is behind yeah. the scenes with Imran and Arthur. Oh, right this second? Right this second, yeah. Oh, you know what's really interesting, uh, Alex? I guess you didn't get the memo because what we've been doing lately is we've been rolling a commercial. 
I'm glad everyone's listening to this. We've been rolling a commercial, and then I do um, the Connors and Sullivan ad right in the middle of like a second commercial. But you know, I get look. Sam Bowen is probably like three inches into like a foot long sub that he's having for dinner, and so I'm not going to give you a hard time. What do Truman say? The buck stops here. Well, the buck stops with Sam Bellino. But in the world of Will's trusts and estates, you know where the will stop? You know where it stops? It stops with Connors and Sullivan. In the world of healthcare proxies, you know where it stops? With Connors and Sullivan. And as I look at these two young men across the desk from me right now, these words are so applicable. Do you remember when you were young and unafraid and you thought you were invincible? Well, that's when we were in the Brooklyn DA's office in the 90s, the early 90s, when crime was crime and, and not that everyone was like crying like they are now. We would, we'd be downstairs, we'd be upstairs writing up complaints and they were stealing our cars from literally from downstairs at 233 Skimmer. And that happened to one of my classmates, Karen Fink. And they did. They stole a car from in front of ECAB. How nuts is that? When you're young and you're healthy, you think you don't need a power of attorney, a healthcare proxy. You think you can worry about that when you get older or become sick. Well, you know what? Nothing could be further from the truth. The fact is, if something happens, you might not be able to designate a power of attorney or a healthcare proxy. What happens then? Then the state or the courts may have to make those decisions for you, and that's definitely what you don't want. So it's essential to create a power of attorney and a healthcare proxy as soon as you can when you're healthy. So call Connors and Sullivan, attorneys at law. They really know this stuff, folks. They've been doing this for 40 years. They'll help you make a plan that protects you best. You'll designate who you want to make decisions for you. So for a free in-person initial consultation with a lawyer, just call Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. No one wants to be under the weather. Now that it is officially cold and flu season, you don't want to fall victim to a nasty virus, whether it's the flu, coronavirus, or the common cold. Invite Health is here to help you make it through this cold and flu season with success. This week, we're focusing on promoting the immune system with powerful, clinically studied nutrients, and we're making this even easier for you by bringing you this limited time offer. Buy one of our select immune health supplements and get 40% off retail. Double up, buy two, and get free shipping. Call us now at 800-673-2345 to save on select immune health products. Again, that's 800-673-2345. One more time, that's 800-673-2345. Don't wait to make sure your body is protected. Support your body's immune defenses today. Invite health, get healthy, stay healthy. Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or odyssey.com. Freehold Mitsubishi in Freehold Township, New Jersey, is proud to be an automotive leader in our area and sponsor of the Power Hour with Arthur Idala, a new generation of independent, modern, and savvy consumers who want styling and value are looking at the all-new 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander and finding Mitsubishi's industry-leading 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain limited warranty and available seven-passenger seating makes Outlander an outstanding choice. Drive one today at Freehold Mitsubishi for best selection. Let's go. Visit FreeholdMitsubishi.com or call 732-863-2788. Alex Garrett, 
Or I should say who's playing. I'm not, I don't mean to be the it's, actual person who's singing. It's that. Def Leppard. Come Thank on you. now. And and it's a birthday of Phil Collins. That's Colin, not Collins, by the way. I He's got He's a guitarist for Def Leppard, so I'm like, why not pour some sugar on the show tonight with that song? All right. Well, way to go, Alex Garrett. Just, Alex, just stay awake, all right? I mean, because just when Sam Bellino's there, he usually takes don't a nap in between his second. My little guy. What? Who? Don't, you, who? No one calls Sam Bellino a little guy. No, Alex. Oh, 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 oh. My boy. So uh, a guy who's not so little uh, in, in physical stature or intellectual stature is a na- young man named... Ralph Vincent Morales. He's someone who I've known for decades now from our time together in the Brooklyn DA's office. And um, he was the class of 96, class of 1996. I was a class of basically like 92 and a half. Um, and uh, so the other night, Mike Sabella, who's my brother from another mother, who sits on the other side of the wall in my office, who was the only person I felt comfortable sitting in my father's office when my dad called it quits because they're kind of cut from the same cloth. They like to kick cabinets when they get upset. Uh, and and they're both brilliant, brilliant litigators. Uh, so Mike says to me, he hands me this book, and he goes, Morales wrote this book. you got to take a look at it, and maybe you should have him on your show. So I have, I've done more than take a look at it. I've probably read like 120 pages. But I know Mike Sabella has really dove, in, dove into the book. How do you say dove into the book? Dive into the He did a deep dive into the deep book. Dive. So when I knew Ralph was coming on today, um, and, you know, Joni's like, you got to ask this question, you got to ask that question. I was like, why don't I just have Sabella? Can I who's, really uh, talk like Yeah, that? you kind of sound like You may not talk like that, but that's how you sound to me. So Mike Sabella is a master cross-examiner. So I was like, you know what? Why don't we just ask Sabella to ask Ralph Morales some questions about a saint's letter from the depths of hell? So, uh, Michael Sabella, take, take the microphone and, and be a, an interviewer. My, my debut appearance on uh, is this the, a debut? the Idala Power all Hour. Right, all right, I'll let uh, the authorities know. Yes, yes. No, and it's great to be here. Thank you, Arthur. And it's great to be here with my fellow classmate, Ralph Morales. Um, Ralph, I, I came across this book. I know you told us about it and finally picked it up and started reading it, and I couldn't put it down. Uh, it's a very impactful book. Uh, the emotion comes through right from the start. Uh, what? How did this come about? What inspired you? How did you, this project get off the ground? Well, you know, it's interesting. First of all, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate this. The, the Brooklyn DA Power Hour is here for, for at least today. There we go. You know, back in um, 2002, my mother passed away very suddenly. And she was my best friend. Knew everything about my mother. She, she knew everything about me. Or so I thought. We were going through her belongings. And I came across a box. Opened the box. There were about 80 letters from my Uncle Vinny to my mother. Never knew about him. She now, never is this your mother's brother? Him. My mother's brother. Her okay. younger brother. Never knew about him. So I started reading these letters. And I think you have to understand, growing up in, in Jamaica, I grew up in the same house my Uncle Vinny grew up in. The only thing I knew about my Uncle Vinny, other than that he died in Vietnam, there was one picture of him. And it was a him next to a Jeep with a bunch of Vietnamese children around him in Vietnam. And that was who Vinny was. You know? So as a kid, I'm thinking Vinny was like this 50-year-old man. You know, was all, this old dude that died in Vietnam. I read these letters like, oh, this guy, he was a young kid. Not only was he a young kid, he was best friends with my mother. They were super close. And that was both enlightening, inspiring, <clears throat> but it was also heartbreaking. Because like I said, I thought I knew everything about my mom. We were best friends. She kept this inside of her. And in reading these letters, what broke my heart was that my mom died 30 years later with this pain in her heart of having lost her best friend. And that, to me, was unbelievable. And that was inspiring. I was like, you know what? I've got to write a book. This is, this is a great story. Th- this young kid, he was 19. Can you imagine what were you doing in 19? 
you know? We're going to take the fifth on that, uh, reliable <laughs> I mean, Mrs. Sabella. Sabella was not doing what, what Vinny was doing. No, know? no These doubt guys over that. there in Vietnam. We were, jo- we were joking around. Right, we were living, right. We were living a dream. Exactly. So when we were in the DA's office, I know they didn't teach us how to write a book. I know our filings weren't much more than a page or two. So, like, you find these letters. How do you take these letters and all of a sudden figure out how, uh, to, how to put them into a story and put them into a compelling story like this? You know, what's interesting is that when I started the book, when I started thinking about writing the book, I was like, well, what, what am I going to do? I didn't know anything about my uncle. He was an absolute stranger to me. <clears throat> so I, I was thinking, I've got to find people. So I spent the better part of a decade trying to find guys that knew my, my uncle. And every now and then I'd find the guys, oh, yeah, you know, Vinny was a great guy. Well, what, what about Vinny was a great guy? Well, you know, and, and they would sort of tail off, you know, because this was after 40 years, you know, that, that he'd been dead. So it was literally after a decade, I'm like, you know, I'm never going to be able to do this. I used to go to his grave and my mom's grave, and I would always promise them, I'm going to write this book, I'm going to write this Where book. Where are they buried? My uncle's buried in the Long Island National Cemetery, the uh, National Cemetery out there in Farmingdale. My mom is buried in St. Charles Cemetery, which, as happens, is only about a mile or so away. Yep. So I would go and I'd make promises. I'm going to do this. And then I'd walk out thinking, I'm never going to do this. You know, I've, I've, never, I've never written a book, much less you know, thought about writing a book. So 10 years go by. And I get a call from my sister saying, I just got a call from this reporter freaking me out, asking about Uncle Vinny. Can you call him? I go, okay. So I call this reporter. He's like, oh, I, I know of a gentleman out in Seattle, um, Washington. You might want to give him a call. He might be able to give you some information. Now, mind you, this is after having spoken to dozens of guys. And I'm thinking, all right, here we go. Yeah, Vinny was a great guy, but, you know, that's it. So I get on the phone with this guy, and his voice was super soothing, like just unbelievable. Took took me back, like took my breath out of my my, my chest. He's like, "Are you are you Vincent's nephew?" "Yes, yes, I am. My name is Michael Reagan." "Hi, Mr. Reagan. How are you?" He goes, "I just want you to know your uncle was in no pain when he died," and that's how the phone call started. Wow, that's <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, nah, you know what I mean? I guess, no, it was it was incredible because. Mike was Mike Reagan was holding my uncle after on March twenty eighth, nineteen sixty eight. After he would, there was a surprise mortar attack in Camlo, and so my uncle was under a jeep because he used to drive a jeep back and forth from headquarters to the to the platoons to deliver mail. He was the company mailman, the company driver, and so I was telling Mike this earlier. My uncle was bringing reality, was bringing sanity to these guys in an insane environment. Sure. Yeah, I so, mean, they live for the mail. Yeah, because the mail brought them back home. So it brought Mike back to Seattle. It brought this guy back to, you know, to uh, Idaho. They got home. They, they heard from mom. They heard from dad. They heard from their girlfriends, you know, their, their friends. At school. But when, without Vinny, it was just sheer chaos. It's absolute hell. You know, you're living nanosecond to nanosecond, you know, not minute to minute. You're hoping you could take a breath. And be alive to exhale that breath. That's how crazy it was. So Mike told me um, back on March 28, 68, there was a surprise mortar attack. The guys were trained to realize they never got attacked in the day. Because if, if they got attacked in the day, they knew where the, the incoming was coming from. And they'd blast them. So no one ever expected to get hit. And they got hit. And my uncle was under his Jeep. I guess the, he was trying to fix his Jeep. He didn't hear the incoming until it was too late. So Mike and all the boys were down in their foxholes. They jump out. And they're looking around. There were three Marines who were killed instantly. And my uncle, who was still alive. So Mike ran up to my uncle. He's holding my uncle. They call Corman up. You know, Corman up is basically, guys, the, the medics, get over here. Try to save this guy. So John Nunn and Tony Malazzo were the two Corman. I met both of them. Um, and they were trying, you know, one guy's stabbing syringes in my uncle because he was pretty badly injured. The other one's tying tourniquets everywhere to try to st- staunch the bleeding. And my uncle was dying. And Mike said he was looking down at Vinny. It was almost like, if, if you ever know that, that famous picture of Mary holding Jesus after he's removed from the cross, that's the image in my mind of Mike holding Vinny 
and he's looking down, and Vinny's looking up at him. And we call it the Pieta. Seriously, that's yeah. it's Michelangelo's Pieta. Yes, exactly. Yes. Go ahead. And so Vinny, my uncle had these piercing blue eyes, and he said that he looked up at Mike. Mike said he's looking down at Vinny, and Vinny goes, Mike, I just want to go home. And then he died in Mike's arms. And that... Jesus, somebody pour me a whiskey, man. <laughs> Go ahead, take it, Mike. You read that in the forward, right in the beginning of the book, because yeah. basically the four people who were closest to him uh, in the war, his friend from home and, and three people that he was serving with, Mike Regan, yeah. Doc, uh, Doc Nunn, and Doc Malazzo. And so you know, obviously, how the story ends right at the beginning, and you see, you read the... The, the emotion and what they're saying and getting to express what they felt for Vinny before the book even starts. And then... So then Mike, into... so, okay, so you as a consumer of the book, explain, so if you're going to hit the high note, which if I'm, I don't mean to be disrespectful that your uncle dies the high note, but, you know, the emotional part. So then what's the, what's the just, rest of the book about? Just the bond between these people who are in literal hell, right, and are making the best of it by depending upon each other and knowing that they have each other's backs. And that 40 years later, the way they could recall what they felt for Vinny, who they hadn't seen in all that time, was like as if they saw him yesterday. And so that was remarkable. You go through these kinds of experiences together, and, and that bond is never broken. And, and oftentimes you don't get to share it, and they got this opportunity to share Well, that's what I wanted to ask you, Ralph. Was, we're talking to Ralph Morales. He is the author of A Saint's Letters from, a Saint's Letters from the Depths of Hell. Did anyone like acknowledge your, you know, knowing your uncle? But like, listen, I don't talk about that period of my life anymore. I'm sorry I can't help you. Did you get any doors closed on your face like that? Yeah, my family. <laughs> I had my, uh, Vinny's younger brother was my uncle. He, he was 12 when Vinny was killed. Vinny was 19. And my uncle didn't want to talk about it. And at the time, the only my grandfather had passed in '91. My grandmother was still alive, um, but I was not about to talk to my grandmother about yeah, losing her son after she just lost her daughter. And they, what I learned from John Chang, who was the friend from Jamaica Queens, John Chang um, was a French Indian Chinese mix, and he said, you know, he grew up in South Jamaica. People made all kinds of fun of him. My uncle wouldn't let that happen, and my uncle was sort of like his best friend. And they grew up buddies. And John said, you know, it didn't matter that I looked different than everybody else in South Jamaica. Vinny treated me like I was his brother. And so when Vinny died, John was in his last month of, of his tour, his 13th month. Oh and when you serve in Vietnam, God. you do 12. And then your 13th month, they get you the hell out. So you don't get killed before you go home. So John was literally on his second to last day in Japan, Okinawa, Japan, waiting, waiting to go home. He gets a call. Um, and they say, you know, John, Mr. Santanello, my, my grandfather, Carmine Santanello, wants you to accompany his son's body home to New York. And John says, you know, I, I, I can't believe my best friend. I have to now take his body home. Mm -hmm. So the way I explore that in the book is John is traveling from Japan back to, to Dover, Delaware, to meet my uncle's body. And then they drove up to uh, Jamaica to he would say he basically stood guard of my uncle's body. But John talked about um, the, the craziness that he and he basically encountered when he came back home. You know, this is a man that, that he was a corpsman too. He's sacrificing every day his his own sanity to try to save these guys. He gets home, and the first thing they do is call him, you know, an effing baby killer, your piece of crap. Yeah, right and, and just the, the the palpable emotion that John told me. He said when he first came home, when they started screaming at him, his first he, instinct he he went like this to reach for his his weapon because that was what they do. And then he realized, you know, I don't have a weapon. Uh, yeah, I don't have a weapon anymore, and I'm home. And these are the people I was fighting for. You know, these I was doing this for, for them, and they're throwing stuff at him. They're calling these names. So that 
was really eye-opening for me. That's sort of the, the next part of the book was really exploring not only John's palpable sadness, but the PTSD he was experiencing coming home after serving in Vietnam and then getting this craziness thrown out. How many letters did you say were in the box? At least 80, 80 to 100. And what portion of the book is based on those letters versus your oral commentary from others? What I try to do is start every chapter with a letter, and I wrote it verbatim. And I would extrapolate from the themes of that letter. I would, I would extrapolate that stories, and then I would, I would supplement, supplement that with the stories that his brothers in, in Vietnam shared with me. Okay. And um, the, the letters themselves, when you found them, were they in good shape, like paper-wise? And were they tattered? Were they, no. Did they have you know what's crazy? Mice, mouse urine on them? You know what? Let's take a break. Yep. We're going to do a whole other segment with Mike Sabella and uh, my, new, uh, my, my new author friend, even though he's not a new friend, Ralph Morales, a Saint's Letters from the Depths of Hell. Uh, he's going to tell us about, I, I want to know how you went from writing a motion to how you write to writing a book, because, I mean, this is like no, by the way, this isn't like a pamphlet. This is like 450-page book, and um, the parts that I read, I just opened, and it's pretty gripping. So don't go away, folks. We're going to be right back with author Ralph Morales. Make sure to tune in this and every Saturday at noon to hear the lead guy, Nick DeMauro, Executive Director and CEO of LEAD, Law Enforcement Against Drugs and Violence, speak with experts, educators, and law enforcement about important issues affecting you and your children. Catch the new show, Battling Drugs and Violence, with the lead guy on AM 970 The Answer for topical information and insights from experts waging the battle against drugs and violence in your community. All right, let's talk about Plaza College because you know, I'm sitting here with two lawyers, two courtroom lawyers, and they could tell you, they can attest to how important the court reporters are, especially Mike Sabella. He got in big trouble, one of the court reporters, once a while ago, but we'll talk about it another time. Um, you know, the, the, the uh, court reporting these days is so important. And Plaza College is offering this free two-week virtual seminar that gives you a glimpse into the world of court reporting and captioning. The program is called A to Z and is being offered free and can be completed from the convenience of your home. And, um, you know, I just want to remind you that yesterday we spoke about the uh, nursing program they have, the paralegal program they have. Uh, I'm telling you, Plaza College has got it all going on. So I would like you to either go to their website, plazacollege.edu, or email them at info at plazacollege.edu. That's info at plazacollege.edu. Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or odyssey.com. Freehold Mitsubishi in Freehold Township, New Jersey, is proud to be an automotive leader in our area and sponsor of the Power Hour with Arthur Idala. Come experience the all-new 2023 Mitsubishi PHEV, our plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. Bold, capable, electrifying. Reserve yours today. Visit FreeholdMitsubishi.com or call 732-863-2788. Freehold Mitsubishi, just a short ride from anywhere in the metro tri-state area. 732-863-2788. We're back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour with New York City's preeminent trial attorney and quintessential New Yorker, attorney Arthur Idala. And 
I am here with two preeminent trial attorneys, uh, Michael Sabella and Ralph Morales. Ralph just wrote a book called A Saint's Letters from the Depths of Hell, based on um, letters that he found um, when his mom passed away from her 19-year-old brother. Ralph, the, the leather, letters, were when you found them, were they in any particular order? In other words, were they in chronological order or were they just a bunch of letters in a box? A bunch of letters in a box. And every letter except for one looked like it was written the day before. Uh, there was one letter that was tattered. It was soiled. There was bloodstains on it. And I, I looked at the date, and the date on the letter was March 28, 1968. That's the day he was killed. And um, th- that was tough, you know, to see that letter. And again, so I was, was probably born, in his pockets. Yeah, yeah. And I was born 16 months after Vinny died, so I had no connection to him, right? Growing up, like I said earlier, no one spoke about him in my home. My mom never spoke about him. My grandparents never spoke about him. So I went from that experience, not knowing anything about this guy, to now seeing these letters and then finding that letter. And then meeting Mike Regan and what Mike and his, and his brother Marines told me is, look, anything that was on the person, even if it was tattered or destroyed, we sent it home because that's our respect. We know, nothing stays here. Everything goes home. So that letter went home. And I can't imagine my mother's reaction when she oh. opened that letter. And I explore that in the book. I mean, it's all imaginary. I, I made, made that part up. But I knew my mom. And I, I know that that had to have destroyed her because I saw the letter and it choked me up. And again, I didn't know my uncle. To see this letter and to see that date and to know the importance of that date and to understand not brought to, to Vinny's brothers in Vietnam, but to his family back home in Queens, I, I can't imagine how that devastated them. And um, did, you, know, you said you began every chapter with a letter. Um, is it about a certain time period in Vietnam or a certain episode that took place in his life or you know, what, 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 what's the kickoff? Well, the letters are basically, they were written from August of 67 when he arrived in country to obviously March 28, 68 when he was killed. And it was from what I learned with the, with his brother Marines, a lot of them were sanitized. So he didn't get into the really gruesome things you that mean, he the saw. Letters were, by the way, they were all, these were all handwritten. Yes. He just, did handwritten. he have decent handwriting? He did. He had very nice handwriting. Okay. The, the grammar wasn't the greatest, you know, right. Jamaica Queens boy, but the, the letters were all handwritten, you know, good stuff like that for sure. And um, so the letters were in chronological order, and I just wasn't following. When you said it seems like they were – did it seem like he was writing them every day? He wrote a lot daily. They weren't weren't daily, but they were a ton of letters. I'm I'm doing the math in my head. So uh, from what you say, he got into country when? August August of 67. And he passed on in March. So. You know, eight, that, that's probably so probably every other day, something like yeah. that. It's like a half a year, and yep. so half a year, I think, is 180, and sending 80 letters, you know, give or take. Well, you know what's interesting is I that... I mess that up? No. 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 All right. And that's what came across, is that the letters... Give him the microphone. Yep. <laughs> the letters were a regular occurrence, that this is how they connected to back home. And it was, tell me what's going on, send me a photo. They would send... Your, sis, your mom was sending letters to his, his friends. To his friends. Yeah. Right, and they it was just having that connection home, and this was to basically, as he described it, defend a pile of dirt. It would be sometimes just to take a hill oh, and right, then right. give the hill up to take the hill two weeks later, and then they were and they're living in dirt the whole time, and then coming home and having everyone just unleash like on them like they do today on Twitter for something. They were doing it now in their faces. It's that opening scene of Platoon with the bugs crawling all over his neck and the, the, the ants and all of that stuff. Um, Ralph, l- let me just ask you, because I can speak for Michael and I, so how do you go about writing the book? Okay, I, and I don't mean, I really mean logistically. So like you just sit there, let's just say you write it. Okay, now you got 500 pieces of paper. Now what do you do with it? Well, you proofread it, right? You got to proofread it. Okay. I, I sent it to different yeah. people to, to, to look at it, to read it. 
I, I had a bunch of buddies from, I went to Georgetown. A few of my friends were ROTC uh, guys. So I spoke to them to make sure that the, the lingo was correct. You know, because I, I didn't oh, serve wait, wait, the wait, Hold on. Barry in the lead. He went to Georgetown. I went to SUNY Purchase. He went to Albany, right? So you went to Georgetown. Well. <laughs> if, I, if I would have applied to Georgetown, I would have been indicted for, like, fraud or something like that. That's where my wife went. You went to Georgetown Law or Georgetown Undergrad? Undergrad. Undergrad. That's where Marion went. Where did you go to law school? St. John's. Up there. Oh, all right, good. You took a deep dive. Okay. Um, no, but my wife went to, uh, what year did you graduate? I mean, she's 91. a lot younger than you. So she graduated from high school in 94. So she's okay. got a decade on you or something like that. Um, you look very good, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> so, so, okay. So your friends look at it. Your ROTC guys are, everyone says, okay, you got a great bunch of 500 pieces of paper. Now right. what do you do? I mean, just so you folks know, like, I'm looking at a real book. Is a hardcover copy. There's a soft cover copy. I mean, it's a legitimate piece of hardware here. So now, what do you do? Well, that's that's a great question. See, I I'm a lawyer, not a, not an author, so I had no idea. You know, what I learned was you're not supposed to write the book first. You're supposed to get approval to write the book, and then they you okay, know, right. You get so I did it backwards, kind of okay. right? So I've, I've got this manuscript, and I'm walking around. I'm trying to get it out. Meanwhile, I'm a trial attorney, right? So when you're on trial, what do you do? That's all you live and breathe the trial. So I didn't have the time to run around from publishing house to publishing house, which I tried to do, but they're all like, you did this all wrong, and they didn't want to hear that. you know. So I tried to go the independent route, and I found this Halo Publishing, um, which is a quasi, uh, it's a quasi self-publishing, but they are a publishing outfit, and I sent them my, the manuscript. They had a proofread. They had their own editors. The, the cover work is basically the letters. Those are actually Vinny's letters on the cover that my friend, you know, that's a picture that my friend took. But they did all the artwork. I gave them the pictures of the letters. That picture so is on my the uncle cover. And my that's mom. a picture, of, right, of your uncle and your mom. That's the last time they saw each other. So that's right while he's about to ship out. That's the summer of '67 in my backyard. Gotcha. Okay, and this is in Queens. Yep. Yeah, in Jamaica. Right. Oh yeah, Queens. he does have nice handwriting. Nice. It's script. Kids not kind of they don't know. Yeah, cursive no, there's no more script. no more cursive anymore. Well, um, I mean, the the closest I could come to this is the day I was born. My um, my mother's parents. Um, they had to do something really horrible. They had, well, thank God it worked out fine, but they were taking their only son, my mother's brother, to the airport. And he was flying off. I don't think he was going to be Vietnam first. First he was going, I think, to California for more training, and then he was going to Vietnam on their way to the hospital to meet me. And as a parent, I would be like, is this like a message from God? Like, I'm losing this kid, and I'm, but but God's giving me this other kid. But you know, my uncle uh, fared okay, and he's still with us at 80 years old, Uncle Anthony. Uh, but I look at that picture, and I, I, you know, I've seen pictures of my uncle in that in that uniform. And my dad always says, the worst time in his service, he was a, a captain in uh, the army, but the, exactly then, 67, 68, 66, 67, 68. And after oh, after he was in the DA Could you imagine you're in the DA Now he did ROTC, but they deferred him. Um, he had to go through basic training and then they said, okay, go, I think they said, go to law school. I got to know the answer to that question. And then he's in the DA's. Could you imagine one day you guys get home, right? And, and you're married to Erica and there's a letter and it's like, oh yeah, reporting 30 days to Fort Bragg in North Carolina and you're push gone now. He drew the good card and that he got to stay here in, in, uh, in Fort Hamilton Army Base. But he said by far the worst thing, and I forget what he called it, gold star duty or something like that, where he'd have to go tell the families. And they knew, like as soon as they saw him, they knew. You know, he rings a bell and, they, you know, and one father put his hand through the glass window and women are screaming and crying. I mean, it's, it was horrible. Well, um, I, listen, bro, I, there's nothing more I could do 
than what I'm doing here. I'm putting you on the Idola Power Hour. You got millions of people listening right now all over the world. Um, you got you are on the Facebook Live. We're on Twitter. Where else are we, Joni? Facebook, Instagram, Instagram, the whole nine yards, and on radio. Hello. I just said. I just said we're being listened to right now, Alex, all over the world. Don't you know how long, how big the nine seventy signal is? They listen to us in Guam right now. Um, but really, congratulations. I mean, you know, Sabella and I and you have all won trials, but we can't say we wrote a book. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And um, I don't know. I, maybe when I have like five minutes to breathe, I can read more than just the third cup. Oh, you wrote something nice to me? Oh, that's my pants. Let me see this one. Oh, he wrote a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Alex, what am I listening to? Little I Gotta Be Me because Sammy Davis would have been 97 today. Oh, all right. All right. All right, we're going to come back. It's Sammy Davis Jr.'s birthday. It would have been 97. Oh, yeah, Mikey Sabella's birthday is tomorrow. He'll be 97 in a couple of years, too. Happy birthday, Michael. I forgot thank about you, thank that. Thank you. And, um, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be back. We're going to talk a little bit about World Cup. We're going to talk a little bit about, I don't know, Alex is going to come on and talk about some things, and Joan is here, and we'll have a little bit of fun. Oh, we got to talk about Celine Dion. That'll be a little sad. We'll start off the next segment with some sad music. We'll be right back. I Freehold Mitsubishi in Freehold Township, New Jersey, is proud to be an automotive leader in our area and sponsor of the Power Hour with Arthur Idala. A new generation of independent, modern, and savvy consumers who want styling and value are looking at the all-new 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander and finding Mitsubishi's industry-leading 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain limited warranty and available seven-passenger seating makes Outlander an outstanding choice. Drive one today at Freehold Mitsubishi for best selection. Let's go. Visit FreeholdMitsubishi.com or call 732-863-2788. Did you know that feeling sluggish or weighed down could be signs that your digestive system isn't working at its best? But taking Metamucil every day can help. Metamucil supports your daily digestive health using a special plant-based fiber called psyllium. Psyllium works by forming a gel in your digestive system to trap and remove the waste that weighs you down. Metamucil's gelling action also helps to promote heart health and slows down sugar absorption to promote healthy blood sugar levels. Start feeling lighter and more energetic by taking Metamucil every day. Buying a home requires a lending partner who can help you navigate through the mortgage process. A Citizens Bank loan officer can help answer all your questions and help you select the products you need in a clear and personal way. So the next time you have a question about home financing, call 212-857-6668, 212-857-6668, and ask a citizen. Mortgages are offered and originated by Citizens Bank N.A., NMLS number 433960, Equal Housing Lender. Today on Hey Culligan, reverse to reduce. Here's Bob. Hey Culligan, I love fresh water, but I got plastic bottles coming out. Whoa, Bob, you are not kidding about the bottles. But did you know Culligan's reverse osmosis and always-on drinking water systems provide fresh, clean, delicious drinking water and help reduce the equivalent of over 15 billion plastic bottles from landfills worldwide? Holy fresh, (laughs) environmentally friendly drinking water. Am I right? Right, Bob. And we're already on the way. Let us help you out with free in-home water tests from a local Culligan water expert at Culligan.com. 
It's Mike Gallagher inviting you to join me for a memorable travel opportunity that will be the highlight of your year. Dennis Prager and I are headed back to Israel October of 2023 with the Stand with Israel Tour. Join us along with our trusted partner, Inspiration Cruises and Tours, as we visit key sites in the Holy Land, thoughtfully designed to give you an unprecedented view of a region you've likely only heard about. Visit StandWithIsraelTour.com to get all the details. We'll uncover important geopolitical sites and show you Israel's significance on the world stage. You'll step foot on the ancient streets of Jerusalem, sail the Sea of Galilee, pray at the Western Wall, and more. It's a trip of a lifetime, a real bucket list trip. We'll have special guides for our group, luxury accommodations. We'll broadcast our radio shows from Israel as well. No other trip will be like the Stand With Israel Tour. Come with us in 2023. Register today. Call 855-565-5519. 855-565-5519. Or just visit StandWithIsraelTour.com. That's StandWithIsraelTour.com. Join us. Kevin McCullough is next on AM 970, The Answer. songs out of a movie did i wonder if that won the oscar um well tell joan you tell us why i um, am sad why why we why'd we play that she is gorgeous celine dion and she lost her husband a bunch of years ago celine dion was diagnosed with something called stiff person syndrome it sounds like such a crazy thing but basically it it affects all her muscles. She becomes stiff and she can't use her vocal cords to sing. Sometimes she can't even walk. She has spasms. It's a very rare condition and apparently it's incurable. What I'm going to do is do some research. We're going to get a doctor on that can talk to us about what this is and why it happens, but it affects, it causes rigidity and it affects their torso and their limbs. Severe muscle spasms can cause her to fall down. It kind of, in a way, sounds like a, a version of like a multiple sclerosis or something. So James Horner wrote that song. For Celine Dion, that was ah, that one. Now, yes. you don't know why James Horner is important to me. Why? Um, because he also won the Grammy uh, in 1991 for Best Score Soundtrack for the movie the Glory. You know Glory with I Matthew Broderick and, and Denzel Washington I won the Academy Award. And yes. it's, I love that movie. That's a great movie. He wrote the music for A Beautiful Mind. I was in uh, that movie. What? <laughs> oh, I was boy. background in, in very uncomfortable shoes. Are you serious? Yes. In A Beautiful Mind? Yes. With uh, Yes, with Russell Crowe. Yeah. Yes, and we were told not to look at him, not to talk to him. And by the way, you know, he has a band. And he played in between takes with the band that was at this. But you weren't allowed thing. to talk to him. No, we weren't allowed to talk to him, and we weren't allowed to call. Um, what's his name? Oh my God! Now I'm going to forget his name. The director, I don't Richie know Cunningham. Oh yeah, yeah. We Ron weren't Howard. allowed to call Ron Howard Opie. 
Well, that because I, that people I were teasing and calling him because they well, loved him. The older folks. I went. I walked into Marion, and I went to um, uh, upstate New York one autumn weekend, oof, a decade ago, and we stopped. She googled some place to go eat along the the way home, but kind of still up a little bit up north. And it was a cute, quaint little place, and we walk in, and all of a sudden, like a bunch of folks walk in, and they clearly were coming from a wake. They were all dressed in black mm-hmm. and all this. And who walks in and literally sits like right behind me was Ron Howard. Ron Howard. And there was an appropriate time when, I don't know, he went to the men's room and I wiggled my way in and said hello to him. And uh, he could not have been nicer. I mean, he was what, and he said that someone's aunt had passed oh. away or something along those lines. He was he, the nicest guy, but we, we we were told just don't call him Opie. Well, yeah, that would be silly. <laughs> yeah, it would be um, silly. But I, he's super it was like talented. calling me Bucky Beaver. But you know, I can't wait to see you play with your band, Rapid Pulse, because you know, I mean, I you, Russell saw... Crowe is a big musician. Yeah, he he's not even going to touch us. Um, <laughs> so I'm wait. I'm at Michael's restaurant yesterday with Ricky Kleeman, who's a wonderful, wonderful lady, Bill Bratton, the commissioner of Bratton's wife, and our buddy here. David Schwartz, and um, I'm looking while I'm talking to him. I go, I think that's Christopher Walken, <gasps> and there he was, Christopher Walken. And I pulled, Does he scare you? And I pulled up the the picture of him in Pulp Fiction, <sighs> um, playing where he plays Captain Coons. I should have told uh, Alex to find that part when he's sitting there talking to a very young. Uh, character who's supposed to be Bruce Willis as a little boy talking about the watch. Bruce Willis, um, there's another one fantastic. with an issue. Uh, but he was nice. He said a quick hello. He was a little bit in a rush. I understand he's 83 years old. He's, he doesn't have a lot of time left. Uh, well, you don't know. Maybe he has like decades. Listen, now when I'm 83, I hope I have a decade and a year. And you then I'll will. see I'll see Ariana turn uh, 40 and maybe she'll be married. You'll have enough energy. I know it. Great stuff. I know it. And Arthur will be 46 and <laughs> Luca will be 50 something. Um, what, Alex, you there? No, Alex, I'm wake up. I'm someone a, I'm someone wake up, Alex. I'm awake. I'm awake. Alex, hello. Alex, <laughs> Alex, hello. <laughs> Oh my um, God. What happened with the World Cup with Ronaldo and he got benched and he's upset and all that stuff? Right. So uh, he had gotten benched for his uh, nation's round of 16 clash against Switzerland. This was even before the game, you know, had started. You know, well, I guess during the game, then he got benched for his replacement. Uh, Goncalo Ramos has scored a hat trick. Well, anyway, he gets benched. He's furious. You know, he's Ronaldo. He gets furious about being benched. Portugal is now in the round of 16. And, uh, you know, he tried to leave the World Cup. Did you hear about this? He threatened to quit the World Cup. Really? I mean, yeah. And, and uh, he, he, he and his girlfriend looked furious. And the Federation had no idea. But, but it doesn't seem like Ronaldo really denied that. Although he has, quote unquote, come to his senses. And he will play for Portugal on Saturday uh, in the, you know, in the next round. Because, look, he thinks they have a best chance as much as any to win the world cup so give me uh, a quick uh, give me a quick uh, brooklyn nets and new york Knicks oh my update. gosh let me tell you since this kyrie irving situation it seems like and i could be wrong that the nba that that world has calmed down because the nets have you know been heating up a little bit here i know the knicks have had some issues but overall you look at the scores of these teams uh like like the nets and the knicks they're scoring over 100 points a game that's promising here in December. I know you want wins on the board. And the Nets, you know, they're 14 and 12 now. Uh, 
they're come they've come back from where they were. If, they could, if the Nets could stay healthy and get on track, yes. we can listen. We need a little action here in sports. So the Jets and Giants—they're keeping it interesting. The Yankees, obviously, with Aaron Judge, but that's not going to start until April. Um, I just want to end the show on an observation I had today when I was walking to the subway. I live close to Fort Hamilton High School. Mm-hmm. If you see how many kids are walking to school smoking weed, I—I I mean, aye. with reckless and abandon. they're kids. These are under twenty-year-olds. Right, fourteen, under twenty. You're you're not high supposed school. to smoke till you're 26, by the way. It's high it affects school. your brain. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And, I mean, and, th- and here's the other thing. They're not like, oh, let me take a little hit off a pipe and see if it, you know, I, it changes the way I feel. They're smoking these blunts and, and these raw, the raw, uh, they're like pre-rolled things and you just fill them up. Because I'm watching the kids do it. You just fill it up with the, with the trees, so to speak, is that's what they call them. And, um... Uh, the the potency of the marijuana today, because mm. I just was at a cannabis conference talking about how potent you it is. You were at a cannabis be. conference? Yeah. Yes, Joan. You we'll don't have know, to talk about that. You don't that. know everything about me. Um, <laughs> and, you know, look, I don't know where to turn. Is it the parents? Is it the teachers? You know, a lot of them, these kids are smoking right in the playground. Yep. Just put a teacher there reading a book. But they, the, the union doesn't want to put the teachers in the harm, harm's way because what happens is there's a fight between two kids. What is the teacher supposed to get involved? And then they don't want to get involved. So, um, you know, could we write a quick letter to the, um, the local NYPD and ask them to have a cop car there? Now, this morning I went for a little run. Yes, Imran, I moved. I ran today until I could get my lungs in shape for rapid pulse, Mr. Sax player. I don't know what you're doing. Because well, you're not doing prolon he's, like he's, me and Imran. He's had his, he's had his saxophone here for... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And as far as I know, you haven't blown it. I haven't taken it out of the case, right? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, he keeps saying he's going to deliver. Well, here's how he's going to deliver. Imran is going to actually, I'm going to get up from my seat, and Imran's going to take over, and he and Kevin McCullough are going to have a really, really good time tonight talking about the law. I I want you to address the New York Times walkout if you could do that. You going to do that tonight, Imran? All right. Imran Ansari, Imran Habib Ansari. What's your middle name, Imran? Haviz, something like that. Uh, Alex, thank you. Joan, thank you. I hope you guys appreciated. Author Ralph Morales, and we will be back and tomorrow, live and local here on the Arthur Idala Power Hour. Have a good night, everyone. See you tomorrow. The preceding program, sponsored by Freehold Mitsubishi. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver for the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.